Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapters 13 and 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Listen to this Russian parable on compromise. A hunter raised his rifle, took careful aim at a large bear. He was about to pull the trigger, but the bear spoke in a soft, soothing voice. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What do you want? Let us negotiate. Well, lowering his rifle, the hunter replied, I want a fur coat. Well, good, said the bear. That's negotiable because I want a full stomach. So let us negotiate a compromise. Well, they sat down and negotiate, and after time, the bear walked away alone. Well, the negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had a fur coat. (laughs) You'll get it on the way home, all right? Look. The bear ate the hunter. Lord, help me. If you've been with us, moving right along, if you've been with us, you know the Pharaoh wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't give in to God as God told the Pharaoh through Moses let my people go. You know you've been with us. And so Pharaoh said, who is this God that I should obey him? And God showed him who he was by sending a series of 10 plagues. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. And then the last and the final plague we talked about the last time we gathered together was the most devastating plague of all the plagues. It was the plague of death on the firstborn in the house of Egypt. And in every house, we talked about this last time. If you've missed any of these teachings, you can pick them up on CD. In every house, there was something dead. Whether it was the lamb that was slain and the blood, remember, put on the doorpost and on the lintel, forming a cross. Or it was the death of the firstborn. In every house in Egypt on Passover night, something was dead. We talked about that. And so when the firstborn was killed, Pharaoh's son was killed. And it was at that point that Pharaoh told the people of Egypt that they could rise and go. And he let them go out of Egypt. Now let's pick up our study tonight in chapter 12, actually. Look at verse 51. And then we're going to read, got a lot to cover. We're going to read in uh, chapter 12, verse 51, and then on into chapter uh, 13. Look at chapter 12, verse 51. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. And it came to pass on that very same day 
that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Chapter 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate, circle that, highlight it, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb. Now, in the King Jimmy, it says the matrix. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, notice this, underline this in your Bibles, it is mine. Stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. Notice the Bible says, it came to pass on the very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Now, remember, we talked about this already. There are probably on the night of the Exodus, exit thus means exit. The night that they were leaving Egypt, there were probably about 2.5 million people leaving Egypt at that time. They had sandals on their feet, sticks in their hand, kneading bowls and cooking stuff in their backpacks, and they march out of Egypt. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the whole nation is having a funeral service because the angel of death has swept through Egypt, killing the firstborn of every house. Notice in chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord said, Moses, consecrate to me the firstborn. The word consecrate, if you're taking notes, the word consecrate literally means to set apart. It means to make holy. It means to sanctify. It means to dedicate to set apart. And so God says, Moses, all the firstborn is God's property. God's property. Set them apart. Notice whether animal or human. Notice God says, sanctify or consecrate. I had you underline it because God said, it's mine. If you notice that, say amen. God said, it is mine. Now, I want to point out, God says it's mine for three reasons if you're taking notes. Number one, God says it's mine because we read it already in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, where we learn that Israel, God said, Israel is my firstborn. Therefore, God says, sanctify them because they're mine, because Israel, Exodus 4.22, says that Israel is God's firstborn. Secondly, God says it's mine because the firstborn, get this, was thought to be the best of the best. The firstborn was the best. It was considered the best. And listen, the best should always be given to God. Always give God your best. Amen, saints? And I'm amazed how people like to give God their second best. I know it, I'll put it this way, it used to happen here until I started preaching against it. People used to, it used to happen all the time. People are cleaning out their garage. Say amen, y'all know where I'm going, don't you? Because y'all done it, that's why, right? And people clean out their garage and they got all this junk. And it's like all this dirty old thing, this junky old thing. We don't need this anymore, do we, honey? No, we don't need it. I tell you what, let's give it to the church. I'm like, wait a minute. 
Do you think the church wants something junky, old, and dirty, and you don't want it? People actually think that. And they used to bring their junky, old, dirty stuff here. And then after, you know, for a while, I mean, I'm a new pastor. I don't know how to tell people, take your junky, old, dirty stuff back home. So they would bring their junky, old, dirty stuff here. And I'd go, oh, thank you. That's really nice. I would say, you know what, I'll just take that and I'll take it right out and through that door, right out the back door, right to the dumpster, right over here. And drop their junky, old, dirty stuff. Listen, give God your best. Amen, saints? If you want to give something to the church, if you want to give something to your neighbor, give them something new. Man, y'all got quiet. (laughs) New? Oh, you want me to buy something? Yeah. Give them something new. Don't give your second best. And especially when you give it to God, you give God your best. We used to take vehicles here. Same thing. People would, their vehicles broke down. They about pushing it in the parking lot. Don't say amen. It's all right. You know that's right. And they about pushing it in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Well, Pastor Ronnie, we like to get his car to the church. I'm like, that's not a car. That's a shell. It doesn't even run. Why would you want to give it to the church? I can't even drive it anywhere. I can't even drive to go get it fixed. It costs me money to take that. Now, I know y'all all have done that at some point. It costs me money to get this thing fixed. So I got to pay money to get it fixed, and then I got to give it to somebody, and I want to make it nice, so it's costing the church a lot of money, and no, we don't do that no more. Now, if you got an old car, take it to the junkyard. Push it over there. Save us a headache. But we always, always, I joke about it, but it's very serious. Saints, we always want to give God our best. Amen? And then thirdly, why did God say it's mine? Because, notice, the firstborn, God says, is mine because it would be a reminder to Israel that God redeemed the firstborn that God redeemed them, and it would be a reminder to them. So God says, consecrate the firstborn of whatever opens the wound, it is mine. Look at chapter 13, verse 3 through 10. We'll take a bit of text, and then we'll come back and have some comments. Look at verse 3. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you are going out in verse 4 in the month of Abid, or that's Nisan. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all the other ites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey that you should keep this service in this month. Seven days in verse 6, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Notice in verse 7, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all of your quarters. Remember, leaven represents what, saints? Sin. And you shall tell your son in verse 8 in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. And it shall be assigned to you in verse 9 on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. Now, I don't have time. Look, let me stop right there. I don't really have time to deal with this, but are you familiar with a phylactery? 
Do you know what that is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, good. That's a good number of you. A phylactery is a little box. In the box has scriptures in it. And, and they tie, when you go to Israel, you'll see them at the Western Wall. We're going to Israel. We had to move it out to October th- 2007, sweetie. Okay, October 2007, we're going to go to Israel. We go to the Western Wall. At the Western Wall, you will see Jewish men, and they are, they are praying at the wall. And, and, and they have these phylacteries on their heads. These are little leather boxes, and, and you tie it around your head. And, it, and, and they would also put a phylactery on their hand. And so here, notice God is saying, it shall be a sign in verse 9 on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. He's actually talking about those phylacteries that the Lord's law may be in your mouth for with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. In verse 10, you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So listen, saints, give me your attention. God is simply saying, I want you to remember when you come into the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. The promised land is the land of Canaan. Now you remember at this time, or you should remember at this time that God is telling them that he's going to give them the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is a perverted land. The land of Canaan is filled with all kinds of idolatry. When God speaks this word, you understand, when he speaks a word to Israel that I'm going to give you the promised land, God is going to give them a land that is currently perverted, that is currently immoral, that is currently filled with all kinds of perverted practices. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, you can look that up in your own time. God said after 400 years, after the iniquity of the Amorites, or talking about the Canaanites, when that iniquity was full, God said, I will bring the children of Israel into the land. Get this, guys. God is waiting for 400 years, in his opinion, till the sin of the Canaanites was so great that the immorality was so bad that God has to do something and God will do something, which tells us that God measures time, watch this, on a moral calendar. Genesis fifteen sixteen makes it clear. After 400 years, God says. See, God knew 400 years from that point, Genesis 15, that the sin, the perversion of the Canaanites in the land of Canaan would be so great that he would judge. And so God measures time on a moral calendar, not on a date calendar. And when a nation gets to the place where their sin is so great and there is nothing left to redeem, then God's clock kicks in motion and judgment is coming. Now, we don't have time to talk about our country. But I want you to just think about that. But you also should think about this. Even though God is judging a nation because of their immorality, God is still always gracious. How do I know that, Rodney? What makes you say that? Well, it makes me think of Rahab. Remember Rahab the harlot? And, and, And she was you know, a woman that God extended grace to. 
and God, she turned her heart toward the Lord, the Bible tells us. So that we learn from that, that even when God judges, there's always, always also grace involved, even in his judgment. You understand that? Say amen, would you? So God is telling the children of Israel, I want you to tell the story, we just read it, of the Passover and the feast that God has redeemed you out of bondage. And when you come into the land where there are people sacrificing their children, I want it to be told, God says over and over and over again, the story of redemption. And when your kids say, Papa, why are the firstborn kids being consecrated? The Hebrew word is kadosh, made holy, separate. Well, Dad, how come all the firstborn, not the second and the third, but the firstborn are all being consecrated and sanctified and set apart and dedicated unto God? When the kids ask that question, then God says, give them your testimony. And tell them this is done because of what the Lord did when we came up out of Egypt. Saints, listen, I'm going to try to say this as quick as I can. Don't be afraid to give your testimony. Amen. Amen. God does things in your life so that you can have a testimony. That's why things happen in your life. You know, when the Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose... God allowed all of the things that happened in your life so that one day you could give your testimony. And listen, we've talked about this in the past. You know, you don't have to have a bad testimony. Hey, what about this? I've been loving Jesus since I was a little kid. And I never really walked in the flesh. You know, sometimes we think we had to be like a hell's angel on crack or something to... I mean, you know, we had to be like a hell's angel on crack to have a testimony. And, and, and you know, or, or, or almost, you know, I don't know, the feeling is, you know, you got to go, go get, get lost as a sinner in order to really have a testimony. So, you know, you've been walking with Jesus all your life, but that seems to not really have the same impact as if you were like strung out on drugs, sleeping in the gutter somewhere, and God lifted you up and brought you out. And as if, you know, your testimony of Just walking with Jesus all your life is not good enough. Listen, that is good enough. Being a Christian all of your life and loving Jesus and maintaining your virginity is good. More than 10 people say amen, please. (laughs) You know, we think we got to get bad in order to have a testimony. It's a great testimony to say, I love the Lord. And it's also a great testimony to say, I was a hell's angel on crack, and God delivered me, and now I'm a heaven's angel, and and I'm on angel dust. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. But you, you, you understand what I'm saying? You know, there, there's an overcoming that's about just giving your testimony. What makes you say that, Rodney? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. We've said it and read it here many, many times. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their what? Their testimony. And by the word of their testimony. Look at verse 11 in chapter 13. Y'all still with me? And it shall be in verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall consecrate, set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. Now, I found this interesting. Not those who have been uh, coming to the world by cesarean, but those who open the womb. I checked that out in the Hebrew. Very, very pointedly true. All those that come pass through the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from, note this, an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord. But every firstborn of a circle, this donkey, you shall redeem with a what? Lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. And so it shall be in verse 14. When your sons ask you in time to come saying, what is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it shall come to pass in verse 15, when Pharaoh was stubborn and letting us go, about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborns of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. And thus we have that, the phylacteries that the Jews put on their heads today and on their hands today just to signify that God's word should always be on their mind and God's words and work should always be about their hands, the phylacteries, it's a symbolism. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontless between your eyes for by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So God, give me your attention, reiterates his instruction about consecrating the firstborn Except you want to notice here, there's a little twist in verse 12 and 13. Notice the firstborn of the animals was to be sacrificed unless it was redeemed with the blood of the lamb. It was the donkey. Did you note this? It was, I had you circle it. It was the donkey that was redeemed by the lamb. Now, if you remember our study from last time, I told you that the lamb represents who? Jesus. Which would mean, or let me ask you a question, who do you think the donkey represents? Yeah. Us. Isn't that interesting? The lamb represents Jesus. The donkey represents us. And you know, I'll tell you something too. The donkey is a perfect picture of us because the donkey is stubborn and donkeys don't have a whole lot of sense. Now, I'm just trying to help your self-esteem tonight. I'm trying to build you up, my peoples. But the donkey doesn't have much sense. And, and I don't think it was an accident that God established the concept of the lamb redeeming the donkey. But thank God, Jesus likes to use donkeys. That's very, very true. Don't you remember Jesus sent his disciples to get one? And remember, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
And should I add dot, dot, dot? God is using, still using donkeys. That's all I'll say about that. (laughs) But notice all the firstborn animals was to be sacrificed to the Lord and all the children were redeemed. Now notice in verse 17, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Verse 17 is fascinating. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near or the shortest distance. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And so God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks. See, God is in the order, guys. God is into order. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.